Go ahead and have a seat this morning, if you will. I want to just take another moment and welcome you to Hagerstown Church. It really is a privilege for me to be able to say that to uh, so many of you this morning. Um, we have had a, an exciting go at it the last 10 weeks. Today is our, from what I understand, I'm not good at math. I'm a, I'm a pastor. That was not a prerequisite. Um, I can count to two, so like, or three, you know, you know third John. So that's all I got to do. Um, but anyway, we've been working through our D groups and our reading plans, and it's been a wonderful thing as we've worked through that, and we've, God's really been blessing. We've been asking God to give us unity and to grow us spiritually, and both of those things I can see in my, I can, I can testify today that in my own life, in my own D group, and, and from the testimony I can hear from the brothers and sisters that I run into on a daily basis that are in the church, in the body, the Lord is really answering that prayer, and so that's, that's, that's a great thing. As we ask God to do something and then he begins to do it, it, it definitely is a, a, an exciting thing, and then as I gather with you guys this morning, I just want to say this, that there's something special as we gather to hear the words sung, prayed, preached, um, read. I hope that that warms your heart, that, that whatever's cold in there melts away as you hear the gospel um, on the lips of the person next to you and behind you. This past a week's reading actually included the death of Moses, and it also uh, ended the, 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 the Pentateuch. And so the, the first five books of the Bible, we just finished it. So that's, a, that's definitely like a, a notch on our, you know, on our whatever. We've, we've made it somewhere. We've achieved something. We've made some progress, and so that's, that's pretty exciting. Moses, tired, weary. He's uh, not necessarily physically, but just mentally exhausted, stalwart, this guy. He ascends the mountain. As he gets to the top of the mountain, he looks across the promised land. And he considers the journey behind him. He considers what's ahead for the, for the children of Israel. He thinks back o- over all that God has done for them, over the provision, over the, the, the miracles that he's done and the ways that he's rescued them time and again from different situations, whether it be an enemy or some type of a natural disaster. He's, he's met their needs. He gets to think back over and at the end of his life over all the mistakes that he's made, even as a leader. Now he's sinned against the people, how he's sinned against God. But and in that, he has a smile begin to sweep across his face as he remembers the sweet grace that was extended to him. This is the life of Moses. It's a beautiful thing as it comes to an end. He takes his final breath and he's gone. I don't know if that bothers you a little bit, but I've kind of got to know this guy a little bit the last couple months and really enjoyed it. I don't know if you guys have feel the same, feel the same way. I get a little nostalgic. I, my heart breaks as I think of, this guy was awesome. He did a great thing. And he goes on, and I know that maybe you may not feel that, but I know the children of Israel, they were going to miss this guy named Moses. They definitely were going to miss him. And so... Um, the children of Israel maybe begin to wonder, will the promises that God had made and the work that he had done through Moses and to Moses, would that begin to cease? Would that fade away? Would the promises that he made to Moses specifically about entering into the promised land, would that go away? Because Moses didn't get to go, would they not get to go as well? Some anxiety may be creeping in there. You know what that's like when you experience a transition, whether somebody's been removed or fired or whatever. There's, if it's a leadership position, there's some anxiety that's associated with that taking place. And so the children of Israel are feeling that a little bit. It's no doubt the end of an era as Moses goes away and the, the Pentateuch is completed. Moses is dead. But though Moses was dead, God was not finished. And God was quite alive while it's a beautiful thing to see the completion of the Pentateuch, the law, God's not done. God's continuing to work. And so as we read the, the first chapter of Joshua, you may have recognized this, that it's a seamless 
transition. You've got the first five books of the, of the law, the, of the Old Testament, and then you've got Joshua right there, and it picks right up where Deuteronomy left off. And it's similar, it reminds me of the way that the Gospels end and Luke picks up, or I'm sorry, uh, Acts picks up. And so Luke and Acts, really, they, they have this seamless connection. It's just one, uh, where one ends, the other one picks up, and that's kind of what takes place with Joshua. So Joshua is the uh, divinely appointed replacement for Moses. So God has groomed him, Moses has groomed him, and now he's ready to take over. And in the beginning section of Joshua chapter 1, God comes to Joshua and he speaks to him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Joshua chapter 1. And we'll read verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. Read along with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn uh, from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. It goes on to say, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to or careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These are the words of the Lord. God bless them. Would you pray with me? God, truly these are your words. You've spoken them directly to Joshua. Now as we sit and observe and See what's taking place, what you're saying to him as we begin to deduce what, what your character is like and what your nature is. As we begin to learn, learn more about Joshua and the situation that he found himself in, would you, would you continue to guide us? As a result of this text this morning, as, as a result of this sermon, would you help us to know you better? Would you change us? Would you continually conform us into the image of your son through your word? Spirit, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Moses hadn't been gone long before God comes to him and, and addresses Joshua. He's the new leader of Israel. And, and uh, right out of the gate, God reminds Joshua of three things. He reminds him of the promises that he has made. He reminds him of his presence. And he reminds him of his precepts. So if you're taking notes, that would be helpful for you to write them down. Promises, presence, and precepts. Those three components are in the text this morning. And I want to walk through and kind of wring these things out a little bit, if you will. So in light of these reminders, God is essentially calling Joshua to two things. He's calling him to faith, and he's calling him to action. He's calling him to faith, and he's calling him to action. Specifically, God is saying to Joshua, he's saying, hey, believe and trust that my word is true. Believe and trust that my word is true. 
God is saying that to Joshua this morning, and I think that it might be safe for you to apply that to yourself as well, that God would be saying that to you, calling you to believe and trust that what he says, his promises, are true. I would lay that before the, the church this morning. Additionally, we see that he's calling them to action, which is reaching out as a result of faith to receive the blessings. Specifically in this situation, he's saying, God is saying, reach out, and as a result of your faith, Receive these blessings. So faith and action. This morning, consider with me the promise of God, the presence of God, and the precepts of God. So getting started first with the promise of God. It had been some 500 years since God had promised Father Abraham, you know that guy, these three things. The first one, if you remember, was that he would, uh, this childless, heirless man would have, a, would have children. And not only would he have children, but God would make a great nation out of Abraham. That was the first promise Several hundred years ago that God had made to Abraham. They began to see this taking place. If you remember how many hundreds of thousands exited Egypt when they left. It was a great number. Far more than Abraham and Sarah and a few of their herdsmen. It was a far greater number than that. This is all blood. God had begun to fulfill that. And that wasn't long until that number would continue to grow. And they'd continually see this manifestation the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that promise. God also promised that they would be a blessed nation as they would have a covenant relationship with God. And again, we begin to see that take place. We, we see that happening already, that, that the, the Israelites had a, re, a unique relationship with God and they were receiving special blessings from him because of that relationship. And the third and final portion of that promise that God made to Abraham so many years ago was that they would be given the promised land. At this point, at the close of the Pentateuch, we see that God had already begun to fulfill those first two, but that third, they hadn't made a whole lot of progress on. Now, they'd come all the way to the edge, and we looked at this a few weeks ago. They'd come all the way to the edge, and they couldn't get past their fears. Remember, God had become small, and men had become big. God's power was eclipsed, so they didn't actually make it into the promised land, not at this point. And now, yet here, God comes to, Ab- to Joshua at this point in time and says, now's the time. Now you're going to go in. And so this is a, we, we, we sang just a moment ago how we would, and we read in, as well in Psalm 27 how God would pull us into his tent and we would celebrate with shouts of joy. If you imagine the children of Israel as they consider they're finally going to enter into the promised land, imagine the shouts of joy that are coming from their tents as they hear what's getting ready to take place. So God approaches Joshua and he reminds him of the promise that he made, the promise that they had not yet seen fulfilled. And under that promise, I want you to write these three things down if you're taking notes. The first is this. We'll see there's a fact, there's a command, and there's a guarantee that's associated with this promise. There's a fact, there's a command, and there's a guarantee. The fact is this, that Moses is dead. Moses is dead. The command is, arise, go over the Jordan. And the guarantee is that every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. So after the death of Moses, it says in verse 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. It must be important to know that Moses has died because that is what God uses to chronologically locate what's actually taking place. In the beginning of this book that is not attached to Deuteronomy, it stands out in essence by itself. There's no other locator here in the beginning. 
It just says, after the death of Moses. So this is a paramount piece of information. This is an important thing for us to remember. And I want you to hold on to that. That God would say, after the death of Moses. And we know Moses lost his ability, his right, his privilege to go into the promised land. And God let him see the promised land, but he wasn't actually allowed to enter in. And that's part of it. But there's more to it. And so hold on to the fact that Moses had died and now God has, has come to Joshua. <clears throat> By the way, if, um, you probably realize this, that while Moses and the children of Israel had a love-hate relationship, they're at the same time, they really cared about this man. Moses was the greatest prophet that they had, really, truly the only prophet at this point that they had had. And the children of Israel, the Jews, they still hail him, recognize him as one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest. So you know as well as I do that when a leader dies or is deposed, there can be a, there can be a very challenging time, as we talked about just a moment ago. And so this would be a, a difficult time for Joshua as God approaches him and begins to speak to him about what's going to take place next. And when God says to him, it's time to cross over the Jordan, imagine uh, you're, you'd have mixed emotions if you were Joshua. Now Joshua, when he's just an underling, when he just kind of works for the man, he's just helping Moses out, and they, he goes into the land, and, and Moses is like, hey, spy it out, come back and tell us what to do, and Joshua comes back, and he's so excited, he's like, yes, we can take it, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, go for it, let's do it, and then all of a sudden Moses just kills over and dies, and Joshua becomes the leader, and now they're like, okay, are you still going to go? He's like, well, what's the rush? You know, there's, is there really a rush? The land will be there when we, when we get there, right? He's, there, there could be some concern there. The liability that Joshua's concerned. Incidentally, that was 40 years ago that Joshua was so excited about entering into the promised land. He's not a spring chicken anymore, right? He begins to, to hurt in places, and he's eating a little bit more oatmeal and things like that, and he's, he's not the same guy that he was 40 years ago. So while this was exciting that they would finally enter into the land, there's, there's a difficulty here that Joshua has to wrestle with, and God is addressing it here, right? He's, he's addressing it. He's, a, he's working through where Joshua is at. So God, though, he commands him to arise and go over the Jordan. But not only does he command him to go over the Jordan, but he also provides him a guarantee. He provides him a guarantee. And the guarantee is this, that every place that the sole of your foot, Joshua, will tread upon, I've already given to you. Notice the past tense. It's not giving it to you, although that's true as well. It's complete. That action is, is perfect. It's already taken place in a sense that God has given this land to Joshua. Now he just has to go get it. That's where that belief comes in. That's where that faith comes in. That he would extend his arms and reach out for what God has promised he's already given to him. And you know this, that God's not oblivious. He, he knows, humanly speaking, that now is not a good time for Joshua. Now is not a good time for Israel. They're in, a, they're, in a chain, they're in a state of flux right now. Leadership's a little bit in question. But the command comes anyway to rise and go over the Jordan. And it's followed again with this guarantee that is going to be given to him. And so Joshua is faced with a decision. And in spite of the circumstances, will he obey the command and, and trust the promise he does. Spoiler alert. He, he does. He, he's a solid guy. He's a great man of faith. He's a strong leader. My question would be then about, maybe turn, turn to you. When you have, in the state of, of your life, when you face the facts and they're difficult, and now's not a good time to, to make this move or to make that move or to, to take this course of action or this course of action, do you go more with the command or with the facts? Because oftentimes it's difficult to make the right choice, isn't it? 
When God has spoken and he's told us something, we say, well, there's, there's, there's circumstances that I don't know that God knows about. Yet God, God's not oblivious to your situation. He still calls us to obey him. He still calls us to reach out in faith and receive the gift and blessing that he has called us to. So he's faced with a decision, but he does the right thing. And so my question for you this morning is, do you do the right thing? When you are faced with this opportunity. And I want to ask you this too. Do you see the direct correlation between the command and the guarantee? If Joshua, if he believes the guarantee, naturally, if he believes the guarantee, what would he do? He would automatically, he would move forward. He would take that action. He would take that action out. Consider this in your own life. What is God calling you to do? If you really believed whatever it is that he's calling you, that, that, that the promise and the guarantee that he's given to you would, you, would you move forward? Would you step into it? Would you receive, would you receive it? We've got to be careful here not to read somebody else's mail and just assume that, that this is for you. But God is speaking to Joshua here. And he says that every, every place that he walks, that that is going to be given to him. And so that might be problematic for you if you assume that wherever you go in life, and I've heard maybe, you've probably heard people say this before, that wherever I go, wherever, I, wherever the sole of my foot touches, the Lord has given that to me. And that might not be the best promise for you to claim this morning, right? We can't read somebody else's mail and just assume that God has blessed us with that. But there are guarantees that God has given to you. There are guarantees that God has given to you. And are you willing to open that mail and read it and believe it and act on it? I can think of just a few. We could, we could work through dozens of them this morning, but I think of one this morning, which is Romans 3.23. There's a promise here that all all good. There's a promise here in Romans 3.23 that guarantees, it's a guarantee from God that the payment for sin is death. Well, lots of times we like to claim the things that God has called us to be strong and courageous, that God has called us to take possession of whatever it is that we step into or we walk on. And yet here, there's another guarantee in Romans chapter 3. The payment for sin is death. So if you're here this morning and you're living a life of sin, the guarantee for you this morning is that death is on you. God's wrath is against you. That's the bad news. The gospel's the good news. And so what's the, the other part of that? Well, the other part of that verse says that the gift of God is eternal life. And that comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I would extend that to you this morning. Do you believe that? That offer, that guarantee that if you'll confess your sins in 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Are you reaching out and grabbing and holding on to that promise, to that guarantee that God has given to us? I can think of another one. 1 Peter 5, 7, he guarantees that if you'll humble, and 6 as well, if you'll humble yourself before God, giving him all of your anxieties that are drowning you, that he will lift you up and that he will sustain you. That's a guarantee that God has given to us. If we'll humble ourselves, if we'll cast our anxieties on him, on his shoulders, that he will sustain us, that he will lift us up. So often that's difficult for us to do, isn't it? To really trust that guarantee that he's given to us, that command. These are just two of many promises that have been made to us. But again, I'll ask you this question. Will you believe God's word? Do you really believe that? And if you do believe that, will you take the action on that? Church, God has extended these guarantees to us. This idea 
of, uh, uh, of, of the promises of God really is, is a twofold aspect. Really, it's God's promised the land, but the people must reach out and take it. God's promised it to them, but remember we talked about this two weeks ago. They are the means, the ordinary means that God is going to use to bring about that goodness, that promise, the, the manifestation of what he has guaranteed for them. They have to reach out. So God's promised it. They've got to receive it. So that there is the promise. We saw, we looked at the promise of God, that, that God had said he would do this in the face of anxiety, in the face of adversity, children of Israel, Joshua reaches out and takes it. But not only do we see the promise of God, but we also see the presence of God, that that God reminds him. And so again, we have a fact, we have a command, and we have a guarantee. Pick them out here in in verses 5-6. Just as I was with Moses, the Bible says, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The fact there is that God is saying, I was with Moses. Again, notice that this fact that God is offering to Joshua is centered on the person Moses. But he says, I was with Moses. And the guarantee is, I'll be with you. Moses, you saw the miracles that he, that he did. You saw the things that he overcame. And just as God has done that with Moses, I, or I did that with Moses, I will also do that with you. And so then the command that, that God gives to Joshua is that he be strong and that he be courageous. So uh, every Happy Meal comes with a toy. You guys know that by now. I've, some of you maybe are still interested in that. Me, I've given up on life, and so I just continue to eat at McDonald's. Maybe I don't recommend that. Um, but I do know that every Happy Meal comes with a toy. And listen to this. Every command of God comes with a guarantee. Every command of God comes with a guarantee that makes it possible. God doesn't call us to do things that he will not do in and through us. So creator God, Yahweh, he will be with Joshua. And it's not just in some omnipresent sense, but in the sense, the true sense of attention that God will be giving his attention to Joshua, not to, not to watch for faults and failures necessarily, but to defend and safeguard this, this brother and to protect him, to prevent failures and faults from coming into his life and from him taking and making the foolish moves. Imagine crossing the, the dangerous third grade playground where many a young lads were bullied and pummeled and left with uh, a bloody nose and no lunch money. Imagine walking across that. Some of you, it's not so funny, right? You've been in that, you've been, I've been there. Imagine walking across there, though, the, with Pedro's protection, though. Imagine walking across in third grade with your dad. He's with you. And as you look around, right? You got the same haircut he's got. You kind of got the same shoes on. You're walking across. It's parent day. You're walking across there. And you're like, yeah, now try to beat me up, Blaze. Yeah, that was the kid's name. I have, I have issues. But as you walk across the playground, you think, what now? You can't touch me now. This is what God is offering to Joshua. He's saying, I'll be with you. There's, you have nothing to fear when I'm with you. And, and Christian, I think, I know. That's a, that's a claim that we can take this morning as well. If our, if our God be for us, then who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Not a bully. Not bills. Not relationship issues or failing marriages or even death can separate us from the love of Christ. This is what Joshua, God is reminding Joshua about here. And, and, and listen, he, as a result, he's commanding him. God is saying, be strong now and be courageous. 
And that doesn't refer to the character of Joshua, but it refers to the actions of Joshua. He was to be a man of action. He was to be alert. He was to be prompt and ready to act when the occasion demanded. And I don't know, but I, I don't imagine Joshua being a very big guy. I, I don't know. I, I just imagine him being kind of small but feisty. And just having the, a resolve that God was going to meet his needs, that God was going to protect him, that God was going to give him what they needed. I just know that's how God works. And his irony, that of all the, the spies, I can just imagine the 10 were the biggest, tallest guys, and Joshua and Caleb were these shrimps. They, they, they believed that God was going to, to, to be with them. And that's what they claimed. So here's Joshua, not, no self-confidence, but confidence in his God. And by the way, the fact that God provides a guarantee to Joshua here in this moment, I think points us, includes us into the fact that he needed some encouragement. As tough of a guy as he is, we all get down. We all need moments of encouragement. I think as Joshua faced this tremendous task, God realized that. They're about to enter into Canaan and he, he needs a fresh word. So God comes and reminds him, hey, I'm going to be with you. I was, I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you as well. So be strong and courageous. Everywhere you go, I'm going to give it to you. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you. Perhaps you are like Joshua. You need encouragement as well today. Perhaps you stand in the shadow of a terrible week. That's you are in the wake of. It's a rough week, bad news, maybe loss of a job, troubles in your home, whatever it is. Maybe just feeling like you've been defeated. Maybe you started last Sunday, you're thinking, I'm going to do this, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to turn over this new leaf, and God's going to work in my life in this way. I just know it, and you claim it, and you move forward, and it was a tough week. Even in light of those things, maybe you need encouragement. Again, I would throw out to you the First Peter 5 passage that I mentioned just a moment ago. To cast your care on the Lord, he cares for you. If you'll humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. That's a, that's a promise that we can claim. That's a guarantee that we can take to the bank this morning. The command to be strong and courageous in light of the fact that Joshua was now the leader, you've got to keep those two things connected. And then also connect the fact that God is saying to Joshua, hey, you're the leader, be strong and courageous. And those, that command to be strong and courageous is tied to the fact that God is saying, fulfill the law, keep the law, meditate on the law. Look down at verse 7. It says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's not asking Joshua to get more reps in at the gym or to build a larger army or to get a better business plan or even to read books on leadership. That's not what God is asking him to do. He's, God's saying, hey, you need to love and obey my laws. In the love and obey my laws. And that leads us to, we looked at promises, we looked at present. Let's look at the, the precepts of God, the commandments of God. Here in this last and final section here, the, the precepts of God, we've got the fact, which is Moses gave the law. Again, notice the connection that God is saying, Moses gave you the law, he commanded you. Look at the, 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 the command to meditate on the law. Joshua was to meditate on the law, and then God gives him a guarantee. 
You will be prosperous and you will have success. I believe there's likely a a Christian, a believer here this morning that is struggling with that right now. They want to have success. They They want their life. They want to see their 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 time in sanctification in that process they want to see it be prosperous if you're here this morning and that's you I think this next passage this next text this section is for you fact is God Moses gave the law the command was to meditate and do the law the guarantee was you'll be prosperous and you'll have success again God's statement of the fact points back to Moses there's a connection between those we'll get to those Moses gives the law likely he's referring back just to Deuteronomy here and, and, and God is saying that the law is not to depart out of his mouth. He was to talk about it. Remember last week, we talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read, about, we read the Shema. We talked about how God is demanding that his people would continually be talking in all situations, at all times, in all contexts, that they would talk about the law. They would talk about their God. He was to meditate on it day and night, to think about it. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He was, God is saying to Joshua, everything that is written in there, everything that's written in the law, you're to obey. You're to fully keep those commands and you're to lead the people of Israel to do it as well. We're not talking about making a, a small statue of the law and putting it at the courthouse. Nobody ever drives by the courthouse anyway. Right? You don't, nobody even knows what it is. It's too small to even see what's taking place. That's not what God's talking about. And so we can fight on those types of hills. That's not what God's addressing here. We give some, give some type of a, a reverent place and remembrance to the law. He's saying, I want it to be a part of every single part and, and minute of your day, Joshua. I want it to continually be on your mind. God is calling Joshua to a complete reordering of his life. Not just, a, not just a add on to what he's already got. And not just a one time a month, one time a year, whatever. I mean, right now, March Madness, everybody, all the, all the guys are pretending they've been watching basketball the entire season and they've not been. But now that, now that it's March Madness, we're all excited. And so you go to bed dreaming of Michael Jordan. You wake up with a basketball in your hand. You're ready to go. Even kids in my neighborhood, everybody's outside. It's freezing cold. They're still outside shooting hoops, ready for spring and enjoying March Madness. And everything, it seems, every, every area of some people's lives seems to be centered around basketball, right? That's a, it's a beautiful thing. And that's the kind of thing that God is saying to Joshua. This, I want it to be always on your mind. I want you to always be meditating. I want it to always be on your mouth. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Does that sound like a testimony that you would want? That's a testimony that Joshua had, by the way. That all he did would prosper. No doubt that passage is influenced by the, the promise and the guarantee that God had given to Joshua. And so let me, let me just say this. If you're taking notes, I think this will be helpful for you to write down. Your success, the amount that you'll prosper in life, is directly related to your treatment of God's word. 
Your, your success is directly related to your treatment of God's word. If you say this morning, I, I, I'm not, I feel like I'm withering. There are times, no doubt, that we'll go through seasons of that. But if you say, God, you consistently feel like I'm in a time of just withering. I feel like nothing I'm doing is prospering. I would ask the question, is it possible that there is a correlation between the way that you treat God's word and the stage of life that you're in right now? Is it possible? This passage is not about preparing Joshua to lead an army. It's about Joshua himself becoming obedient to the law of Moses. And obedience is the only way, God says, the only way that you'll have success. The only way. Verse 8 of chapter 1 in Joshua, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Unless Joshua makes meditation upon and obedience to God's law his first priority, he will never experience success. His leadership will always fail. It's plain and simple. So Joshua's primary duty here is not military, but spiritual. It's not military, but it's spiritual. And the same is true for us as, as, as leaders in our home, as leaders in our community. As we raise our children, as we care in our, for folks in our neighborhood, we, we think, what's the most important thing that God would have us to do? To, to, to manage our finances, or to, 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 to manicure our lawns, or whatever it is. To maintain our vehicles and, and be upstanding citizens. Are those the things that God has called us to know? God, first and foremost, calls us to obedience to his law. And when we obey his law, then we will have good success. When we meditate on his law, we will have good success then. So without obedience to the law, military success will not follow because God alone is the only one, the only way that you can receive victories so why was this such a big deal for God to, to make a big deal to Joshua at this point in time? Well, don't forget where they're going. God is saying, hey, you need to, to kind of get a booster shot here as you are getting ready to go into Canaan. Remember, this is a place that's very pagan, full of sinful debauchery, even human sacrifice. The children of Israel are entering into this and God is warning them and saying, if you don't know the law, if you don't guard yourself in that way, you'll never prosper, you'll never grow, and you'll actually fail. You won't be able to fulfill the covenant that you promised that you made with me. So God warns them. And we, all, we know the story. We know the children of Israel get in there and they do, they do good for a little while under Joshua's leadership. He dies off, he's gone and it's not long before they actually cave in. So they didn't hold on long enough. God knows that that's the only way that they'll succeed is through the law. I want to talk about meditation for a moment as well. It, it's not speaking of giving something a once over or just grabbing a, a verse in the morning or reading your, your, your sometimes we, in a hurry, we'll just uh, racing off to work or racing through our, whatever situation we find ourselves in. The schedule is getting a little tight and we'll just skim over and read whatever text it is for the day and we'll say, hey, we, we read it. That's not, that's not meditation. Meditation has this idea of struggling to grasp the real meaning of the text. And it can actually be translated, that Hebrew word can actually be translated to murmur, which is to say, muttering under your breath. You've ever met somebody that was murmuring, right? They're, they're, maybe they're angry, they're, they're, they're consumed with anger or hatred or frustration, and they're just grumbling under their breath and blah, 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 constantly just mulling something over. It's that same kind of idea, but in a positive way, to meditate on something. Or to meditate on the law of God, or to, to chew on it like it's a, the cud. 
to stay with us for a long time. We're to roll it around in our minds. This is what God is calling us to this morning as well. Not just Joshua, but us. We're to talk to ourselves about this. We're to think about whatever God is saying to us. And so as we read through our texts, as we read through the scriptures, as be it in our families, with our families, or individually, I want to encourage you to meditate on the scriptures. To really dig in there and see what God is saying and then at that point apply it to our lives. And the degree that you, to, to the degree that you meditate on God's word is, is likely to the degree that you'll follow it. The degree that you meditate on God's law is likely the same degree that you'll follow it. So if you're struggling today to, to, to follow the law of God, is it possible that you don't spend any time meditating on it? Is there a correlation? Is there a connection between those two? We need a knowledge of the Bible as Christians, not an ability to parrot a few verses or proof texts, but we need a deep grasp of the influential principles that God is communicating to us. And that's the call today. And it's a difficult task. It takes work, it takes time, it takes dedication. But it can be done and it should be. That we would dedicate ourselves to meditation, that we would dedicate ourselves to obey and to do the law of God. So it does take work, but I don't want us to slip. I don't want to lead this church into slipping into thinking that we have to earn or accomplish victory in some form or fashion on our own. Like Joshua, Christians do not succeed spiritually because we obey God's law. As a matter of fact, we can't do that anyway. Instead, God through Christ enables us. This is the good news. God, through Christ, enables us to have victory over sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So as you wrestle through this maybe condemnation or tasks that are seemingly too hard for you, remember this. That God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. And then because that victory has been extended to us, now we reach out in faith. We act on that faith and we receive it for ourselves. And we become steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what's offered for us this morning. Joshua is not going to succeed because he obeys God's instructions. He'll succeed because God is with him and enabling him to obey the instructions that have been given enabling him to obey the commandments that have been given. This is the same for us. God gives both the, both the law and the promises and his presence so that we can't lose. So we can't lose. I want to end on this note. Many theologians, as they look at this passage, they, they look and they see that Joshua prefigures, in a sense, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Joshua's name even is the same as Jesus. It's the same, it's the same name. It's translated, God is salvation, or, or, or that God saves. And there are a lot of relation, there are a lot of similarities between the person of Jesus and the person of, person of Joshua. And so I definitely believe that Joshua prefigures Jesus. But I would say, as we put that diamond and we meditate on this text and we turn it just a little bit, and this, this way we see that Jesus is prefigured in Joshua. But I think if we turn it just a little bit more, we'd see that Jesus is prefigured in Moses. That Joshua, in, in fact, is somebody else. I would say that Joshua is us. Joshua is the Christian. I want to show this to you. So Moses is a type of Christ, but I think that, G, that, jo, uh, or that Moses is a type of Christ instead. 
You see, Moses rescued the people from bondage in Egypt, and Jesus rescues the Christian from our bondage of sin. Moses, the shepherd of Israel, prepares another shepherd to lead in his stead. And Jesus raised up the apostles, and they led the church when he left. And Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven, and Moses dies as well. And so they're both separate from their, from their flocks, if you will. Both of them leaving behind their disciples. That's us, the Christian. And those left to carry out the mission of the Lord. That's us. So Moses is gone. And here we are left to do the work of the Lord. And he comes to us. And if you'll hear in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, if you'll hear in that the echoes of the Great Commission. Listen, listen, listen as I read that. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go. I've given it to you. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There we have it. We have the Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. That promise that we will overcome, that we will see victories, that, that those, the darkness will be pushed back and the gospel will be received and we will make disciples and that God will be glorified in this city and around the world. That promise has been given to us. We also see in this New Testament passage, the Great Commission, Jesus' presence, he says, I am with you always. Well, you don't see me. You won't, my presence won't be with you in the same way as it was before, but my attention is still with you. My spirit is still with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Christian, that is encouraging. That's exciting. Though Moses is gone, the spirit of God is still with us. Jesus has ascended into heaven. His spirit is still empowering us. The last thing that we see is Jesus' precepts. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And in that, in that sentence, you observing all that I, I've commanded you. And then you teaching others to do the same. Christian, this passage, this message is for us today as well. Be strong and courageous this morning. Trust his promises. Recognize his presence and meditate this morning and this week, this month and this year on his precepts. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this truth this morning. You've extended to us this call to be strong and courageous. And you've commanded us to do that. But then you've also given us a guarantee that we can step out in faith knowing that we will succeed. Not because of works of righteousness which we have done. But according to your mercy, you will and have saved us. Father, we claim and know that for ourselves. And we pray that that as that message goes out this morning, even now, somebody far from you, Trust that command to repent. They would trust that guarantee. In faith, they would act on it and receive this gift, this good news for themselves. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, what you, what you did in those days and how you've preserved that for us even this morning so we can look at this and be encouraged by that. We pray that Hagerstown Church, as we go forward with the Great Commission, that we would recognize the presence of Jesus, that we would claim the promises God, we pray that we would follow your precepts as a church. Pray that these things would be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone.
Amen.